Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yak Gadgets. For all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories, go to yakgadget.com. Pelican cases, cooler, and lighter. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. Draw your heart with soft bait needs. Go to the 153angler.com. Now let's join our special guest around the campfire. Welcome back to the Feather and Fur Podcast. I'm Brad Hurlbus, and today our guest is Kurt Belding with Western Obsessions TV, and we're going to bring him right on in. Hey, Brad. How's it going, man? Oh, it's awesome, man. I really, really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, you bet, man. Of course. It should be fun. I think it's going to be a good time. Um, Yeah, I mean, I stumbled into you on, like, your YouTube channel, which, I mean, you got some awesome video content out there. I watched one of your, I think it was an elk hunt, where you were trying to, like, backpack camp it the whole way. (laughs) That was my last year archery elk hunt, where... uh, my, my pack is way too big, and I thought I would bring everything with me. <laughs> it, was, it, was, yeah. it was interesting to watch. I mean, like how you like, like okay, this isn't working, and then you like change your tactics in the middle. And like, the vi- I mean, it was, it was a great video, and I'll be honest. I don't sit through most YouTube videos. Like, I don't have attention deficit disorder, but if your video doesn't grab me, I'm out. Like, just that's just how I am. And but I actually like to sit through an entire episode. Like like that tells me like all right, he's doing something right. Like that like like that's awesome, man. Like your video was great. Thanks, Brad. I know a lot of guys just kind of scrub forward to the kill shot and say, sure. oh, they, they actually got an elk. All right, cool. But no, we like I have a production company also, so we really like to use a good, some good cinematography, good storylines, tell a story of the hunt, tell exactly how it went. And, You've probably saw in that episode, like, yep, overpack. This sucks. It's heavy. A lot of deadfall. We got to do something different. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that terrain was gnarly. 
I mean, that was some yeah. gnarly terrain you were in. Like, it looked like a tornado went through there. There was so much crap laying on the ground. Oh, man, it was rough, man. And, and like, you know, you e-scout. And, and, you know, kind of a little backstory to that is I had a different plan. And then the day before I was supposed to go out with a buddy of mine, he said, I'm, I can't go. Sorry, we can't go. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going into an area that I've never been. I e-scouted real quick, had a, a trail picked out, but that trail ended up not being a trail. And we just sure. kind of got stuck in the middle of deadfall. It, the hunt kind of turned into survival for about a day. <laughs> like, we got to find water. Oh, man, it was good. But it turned out good, man. I shot a little raghorn bull, and and it was a good hunt, man. It was fun. It was a good, it was a good video, man. And that means, like, how did you get started in hunting? I mean, because it takes a big step to go from hunting to film production to actually making a quality video, right? So like, yeah, where'd your roots, like, where, where, how'd you get started? Like, was this a family sure. tradition thing? Was it like late onset? You take it on when you were older? You know, I think a, a, like a lot of guys, I started hunting with my dad as a kid. So I grew sure. up in the Midwest in Nebraska. So it was a lot of like whitetail hunting, turkey hunting, pheasant, quail, you know, that type of tree stand hunting. I moved sure. out to Colorado uh, about 15 years ago and I had a, like a little, uh, I don't know, in my, in my 20s where I didn't hunt very much, I chased, I hunted women. I heard chased women more than, right. <laughs> than I did, you know, hunting. And I had a career, and I played baseball. And college. So I got busy, man, and uh, picked hunting back up in my uh, about 30, 29, 30 years old. Uh, I had moved out to Colorado, and I started Western hunting for elk. And I tell you what, man, going from Midwest whitetail hunting to trying to hunt these mountains of Colorado for elk is – was tough it was a tough transition but i'm super passionate i love hunting man i'm like it says like our hunting show western obsessions i'm absolutely obsessed with hunting and i figured it out after you know trial and error for a few years and learning as much as i could about the way to hunt in the western side here in colorado i started to figure it out and eventually i actually bought an outfitter so i'm actually a guide also so i do guided elk hunting but um I, I went on a hunt in 2019. I, uh, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I own a bunch of other little businesses. All One right. of my businesses I own is a production company. So we, we create photo video design for my other businesses and other companies. And I uh, went on a hunt in 2019 as an elk hunt. I drew a good tag. So I brought a, a video guy along with me and right. we stumbled along and tried to film and tried to hunt. We actually, were successful. I actually shot that bull right behind me. That's, that's a nice bull. I mean, that's Thanks, a nice, man. that's a, that's an awesome looking bull from here. I mean, oh, yeah. and not, I'm not He's, saying from here is like, I can't see it from here. No, that's not what I mean. Like on yeah. camera, what I can see, man, that thing looks beastly. Hey, you know, he's not in, he's not, you know, world record boys, you know, good three twenties, but he's got chocolate with those ivory tips. He's just a gorgeous bull. But I shot him on that hunt and we tried to film it. We, we turned it into like a three part series. And I just loved the challenge of documenting my hunt to try to entertain other people with the hunt, of, of exactly how the hunt went. And I fell in love with it. Uh, you know, so a buddy of mine, he's now a buddy of mine, saw the hunt. I put it out on Facebook and YouTube and he used to have a hunting show on the sportsman's channel and he hit me up and said, Hey, what are you doing with this, with filming these hunts? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> just, just trying to have a good time. I'm shooting a little video. I'm doing some editing, trying to make something work. 
That's right, man. So he's like, hey, you should, we should like get together and actually try to make this happen. So 2020 was our first full year, full season of filming. And here we are 2021. And now I'm kind of doing it full time and doing some production for other hunting companies. And this is where we're at, man. Sorry, I'm long winded. That's, that's no, the whole thing in a nutshell. No, man, it's good. Cause I mean, like that's a lot, like that's to take on a lot, right? I mean, multiple companies, and then to try to like to weave them into each other as well. I mean, that like that, that's a lot of work. I mean, that's a lot of management. It's a lot of time involved that takes away from your hunting too. Oh, for sure, man. Like, but that's who I am, man. I'm even if, even if I had all the money in the world, man, I would still be like running a hundred miles a minute with my hair on fire, trying to balance companies. It just, it just who I am. I work, uh, you know, it's just instilled me to work super freaking hard. I'm very productive. Every minute of the day, I, I'm trying to be productive, and sure. I want to have it any other way. I really enjoy it. I get it, man. Like, it's work. I mean, a lot of people think, like, people that listen to podcasts or watch video, I mean, there's so much work after the fact that goes into it. But when you actually get the enjoyment out of it, like, for me, like, part of the podcast is I just like talking hunting, right? But, like, a big part of, for me, hunting is mentorship, which I've touched based on tons of times in other podcasts. And, like, I get so much enjoyment out of that as well like if you get enjoyment out of it it doesn't seem like much of a job and i know people say that but it really is the case it, it really is true man and uh kind of backing up a little bit i'm 41 i'll be 42 in february so here's what happened i turned four and i was an i call myself again a serial entrepreneur so i've been an entrepreneur since forever and i hit 40 and i was like you know what i think i had a little bit of midlife crisis instead <laughs> of going by in the red convertible I started a hunting show. So, sure. you know, at that 40 year mark, and I, my man, I have a really good wife. Thank God I have a really cool, understanding <laughs> wife because now I'm gone all the time. I'm spending a ton of money on hunting. And, right. um, and that, yeah, that's my midlife crisis. Like, I want to do exactly what I want to do. I don't care about getting rich or making a ton of money, but I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And because this is basically my retirement, I'm just taking it early. You know, when Not I hit exactly. 65, I can't go on mountain hunts after bull elk. And, you know, I'm doing that now because I want to live my life the way I want to live it. I want to live it right now. So uh, that's kind of how I started doing this. And I tell you what, it is a lot harder than what you think it might <laughs> to film and actually try to put together a good show that's entertaining for somebody. Even just to get a good kill shot on film is like sure. super hard, man. So well, like these solo hunters out there that are doing it all themselves, filming, hunting, my hat's off to those guys. I mean, it, there's so much at play, right? I mean, the hide, angles, lighting, everything. Like, especially when you're out in the mountains, right? I mean, that's that's a whole nother level of trying to make this happen. It's not like you and another yeah. guy are sitting in a tree stand waiting on the edge of a cornfield for a deer to come in. I mean, you guys are hiking and packing all this gear up the hill, up the mountain, and then yeah. breaking it down, taking what you need to shoot video of that day, Hoping you don't leave something that you wish you would have. Oh man, I wish I'd have brought that lens with, but I saved the five pounds, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I got to pick. All right, do I want to bring my spotting scope or do I want to bring my camera? Because I can't right. have both. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but you know, it's the first season was a learning curve, man. I, you know, I screwed up a lot. Um, you know that that the episode you saw, we got a pretty good kill shot on good footage on that bull that we shot, but. Uh, there's been times that I didn't get the kill shot or I screwed up some other shot. And um, sure. it just, it was super challenging. You know, I was on a rifle hunt where I was actually filming for a buddy 
and I'm holding the camera on a monopod and I didn't even think about it. And he, his wife actually was, was the shooter. She shot and obviously like I shook and I right. screwed up the kill shot because of the sound of the gun going off and you shake. And so that, right. you know, Hey, rifle hunt, bring a tripod, you know, every sure. little thing, you just a learning experience. And uh, this season, man, hopefully that's going to be even better. How'd you start? How you start? Can you give us a little preview? How are you going to start the season off? Like, have you done any like crazy trips that you can like allude to? I, I actually just got back from Africa, uh, hunting right, planes that, game in Zimbabwe. Nice. Yeah. How, well, how was that with COVID? Like, how was the travel experience there? Was it a mess or was it pretty solid? You know, um, you know, obviously I'm wearing a mask for like 20 some hours straight on airplanes, right. on flights. So that was kind of a pain in the butt. But in hindsight, here's the here's the biggest thing I took away from that as far as travel. I tried to bring my own rifle because I had a, a scope sponsor that I really needed to use on that hunt to get footage and film. So bringing a weapon from country to country to country was Ooh. very difficult. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, I probably won't try that again. Um, no, next time, maybe just bring the scope and some boar sighting stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I should have just done that. Yeah, but you know, and I just built a, a nice custom rifle, so I wanted to use my own rifle. And right, I don't know. In hindsight, dude, I, I'll never do that again. I'll bring my bow, but I won't. I won't bring a weapon. You know, it got stuck in South Africa in the airport, and I hope this is okay to talk about the podcast. But oh, yeah, the we're, we're police. Good. Okay, you're good. All right, the police in the airport are super corrupt. So if you ever travel to Africa to hunt, you go to Johannesburg bring cash. They will not let have your rifle until you pay them cash to get it out. And I've heard that from every person that had gone to South Africa. And that was true for me. Guy pulled me off the side and said, nope, you're not getting your gun. If you got 150 bucks cash, USD will let you have it. And that's what I had to do to get it out. So, right. That's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I've heard that before, though, from other people that have been down there to like get like horns or antlers or mounts back. They're like, or like any like little trophy like that, they're like, nope, nope, that's against the rules, can't take that. But fifty dollars or a hundred dollars right now, I mean, I'm gonna not see it. Yeah, I'll look the other way for this bribe. But right. you know, it is what it is. It's you know, countries that aren't economically as strong as we are, and our U.S. dollars a lot stronger. So I guess they got to do what they got to do to make ends meet. So right, I won't, I won't dog on them too much. I guess. No, I get it, and that's a completely different culture, right? I mean. Like that's how, that's how the way of life is down there. That's how things work. Like here, that's crazy to think about like, oh, I have to pay this cop. Like, to, like, but that's how their culture is. And it's, and they might just do it more for travelers. I don't know. They might they also do it to the locals for certain instances. I mean, that's a diff, just, that's part of the traveling experience, right? Is those new cultures yeah. and those like completely different and like cultural norms. Cause it's not a norm for us. It's like blows your mind. Like, did this just really happen? I try that back in the States. I'm the one going to jail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's a completely different norm. And you don't know that norm. Because that was my first trip to Africa. And I didn't know going in. I'm like, oh, all right, here we go. Hopefully, it's just a gun. And I'm not ended up kidnapped somewhere with my head about getting chopped off. Right, <laughs> right. You know. But, you know, I learned a lot of cool things uh, hunting in Zimbabwe. Um, probably the, the coolest thing that I learned there was how important hunting is for the country because that's a, one of the biggest revenue sources for them. Obviously, you know, as a hunter, you, you know, like conservation hunters provide right. 99% of all conservation, but the money spent or the money given 
do that because the country owns the animals and a majority of that money that's spent on hunting in Zimbabwe goes to the government. The government okay. takes that money for schools, infrastructure, um, you know, so it really helps the economy of Zimbabwe and the meat, everything you kill in Zimbabwe is donated to the local villages so they can have food. And it's a very sure. poor country. You know, we're driving around going through local villages. We're looking at, at tent houses, dirt floors. Sometimes they'll have some kind of like strong structure, like a brick, but no electricity, dirt floors, no running water, very poor. And they can't hunt. It's illegal for them to go hunt food. It's poaching because they're not issued tags to do it. Sure. So as a hunter going into Zimbabwe, killing an animal, injecting money into the economy, injecting food for the local villages, I felt really good about what I was doing there. It's real easy. It's they're like the moral side of it, which I don't struggle with the moral side, but I know people, some people do, right? I mean, when you can actually see like the money where it went and where the food is going and that people are eating and everything works out, it's like, all right, this all makes sense. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, it's not, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, cause you're going to hunt your, like this animal on your bucket list. Right. So it's a little selfish, right. Cause you're making this trip for yeah. you, but like, it provides so much to other people too. It like takes that all away too at the same time. Yeah. It, it eases that guilt of I'm spending a bunch of money to go to this, to go to Africa, to pill, to kill these things on my bucket list so I could take the trophy home and film it. So I have cool episodes and cool heads on my wall, you know, like it takes that guilt away. Say, oh, wait, I'm actually doing something really good for the country, for the community, um, you know, by doing it also. Right. I mean, it makes a whole, brings a whole nother aspect to it, which is probably something you, I don't know, maybe you didn't know that going in, but if you didn't, I mean, that's got to like completely change your mental game while you're there. Right. Cause you see all this and it's like, wow, like just eye opening. Yeah. And going in, I knew the meat was going to be donated to the local villages. I didn't sure. understand fully the level of poverty that I was okay. walking into the local villages. And I didn't understand where all the money was going. I'm like, okay, well, I'm paying an outfitter or a, you know, a, a professional hunter, some guides, some trackers. I'm sure they're making good money on this, but they're really not. It's a lot of that money's going to the government. And, and for what I hear, and I hope it's true, a lot of that money then is pumped back into school systems, infrastructure for the economy. So uh, sure. knowing that all now, like I'd go back again and again, if I could afford right. it and, right. uh, and do that, you know? So you brought, so you brought your, your custody of the new rifle did you also bring a bow too did you bring two or did you yeah so i brought the rifle i brought the bow and the bow's typically not a big deal to travel with it just because it's not classified really as a weapon so it goes through security pretty quick pretty easy sure. but zimbabwe just passed a law because there's been a lot of poachers using bows to hunt animals poaching because there's no sound right so they just passed right. a law that you needed a license to be able to hunt with a bow in the country didn't know that. Show up at the airport. They said, where's your license? I don't have a license. They say, well, you're both staying in the airport. <laughs> so I just paid a storage fee and it stayed at the airport my whole hunt. And All I, right. I enjoy bow hunting. I almost enjoy, I do enjoy that more than I do rifle hunting uh, because it's an extra challenge. But, sure. um, but you know, the hunting was actually pretty tough. It's real hunting. There's no fences anywhere in Zimbabwe. Everything's super free range, very wild. And I was very impressed with the hunter and the trackers that were a part of my team. Like those guys are legit, man. They're really good at what they do. I've heard that before. I've never been there. 
Um, I have talked to other people that have, and they a lot all of them say the same thing. Like the trackers are like night and day, like compared to what we see around here, or compared to like what they've ever done. Like the trackers out there are no joke. They're pretty amazing, and I you know I pride myself on being a good tracker. Sure. I can tell animals and sex and usually when what day they may have come through. But these guys, these guys are seeing tracks that I can't even see with my naked eye, staring right down on the ground and telling me exactly what time they came through two days ago. And, you know, like, uh, they're just amazing, man. I was really blown away by their level of like expert hunting and tracking. It was, it was really nice to watch those guys work. It's, I mean, I guess it's probably like any other profession, right? Like that's what they do. They're a tracker. They're not out there yeah. trying to haunt they're not out there prepping their hunts, scouting their areas, finding like all of that. Like their job is they, they track, like that's what they do. And I mean, I guess if you focus on one item long enough, you're going to be an expert. Yeah, that's very true. And, and the trackers grew up, lived in the area we were hunting. So they're very familiar with the land and they understood the patterns of the animals and all that sure. stuff. So yeah, that was, yeah. I, I mean, they're still pretty badass though. <laughs> <laughs> so this so this was a plains hunt. So what what was the what was the species then? Like what were you looking for? Like what were you chasing? Yeah, yeah the top of my list was a sable. I really wanted to be able to harvest a sable, kudu, those are the, the two. And I, you know, impala are pretty cool. I like the impala. So that was really what I was after. And in Zimbabwe, you could hunt elephant, giraffe, lions, leopards, cheetahs, you name it, man, you could hunt it. And we saw all those animals except for like the predators. We saw a ton of elephant, we saw a ton of giraffe, zebra. Um, but I, my interest is more in the planes game. I, I'm right. just drawn to that more. Um, you like those spir you like those spirally horns is what that's it, isn't it? Man, that kudu is a cool animal, man. Spy big spiral horn, and they're about the size of an elk. You know, they're they're big animals. Oh, I didn't realize they were that big. Like that's oh yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, so the the sable and kudu are bigger animals, man. They're definitely a lot bigger than a deer. Uh, sure. About the almost the size of an elk, and uh, just cool animal. They're very smart animal, very, uh, you know, they, they call the, the, the kudu a gray ghost because they blend really well into the, in the vegetation. And it was legit hunting. You know, it was, we worked really hard to do it. A lot of hiking, a lot of, a lot of driving too, to spot animals. So I, and for me, man, I would much rather like you, if you showed me a kudu, you know, a hundred yards away said, okay, go kill that one. Or there's one a mile away. I'm, I gravitate to the one a mile away, man. For some reason, right. that's just more sweet of a hunt for me. Like, I have to earn that animal. If I don't feel sure. like I've earned it, it's just not as sweet for me. I don't, I don't know. I Maybe get it. No I, no, I get it. I know what you're saying. I mean, because it's all part of the experience. And that's, at yeah. least I know I chase an experience. I don't, I mean, to me, it's not about limits. It's not about necessarily even taking an animal. It's the experience. It's the over, and yes, taking an animal just adds more to the experience, but I've had some phenomenal hunts where I walked away empty handed, but like the experience I took away from it made everything worth it. Man, you hit it right on the head there, dude. It's, it's you're right. It's the experience. It's not the kill. Like again, that's the icing on the cake, but it's the right. experience. It's the challenge of that hunt that really makes that hunt. Absolutely. So you got your kudu then? So I, uh, yeah. So I shot a kudu on the third day. All right. Um, I shot an Impala on the fourth and I shot a Sable on the last day. So it was the last hunt, the last day we, we made that one happen. So, and I'm, yeah, super, even if I wanted to shot the Sable, man, I was super happy with the experience, super happy with the hunt. The team was awesome, you know, from the 
the PAs, the professional hunter, the trackers, the, the outfitter, I call them. The cook was amazing. You know, we stayed in these little huts with straw roofs, so it was nothing fancy. But sure. the cook is cooking on open flame a lot of time, but that guy could cook some food, man. So we had some kudu. We had some impala. I didn't, I wasn't able to eat any sable because we shot on the last day, but right. it was definitely a great – it was like one of those you know, once-in-a-lifetime experiences for sure. That's awesome. So is it like a spot and stock type deal? Like I know you said you're using cars, you're using like a lot of hiking. So is that, was that kind of familiar to you? Like with hunting the mountains, like with the spot and stock and trying to find these animals? Oh yeah, for sure. That's what, you know, most of my hunting is spot and stock. So it's real familiar. Spot the animals from a way off, come up with a game plan on how to get close, follow the wind, use the wind, you know, super quiet. And it's funny. I had a camera guy come with me. It's just a good friend of mine. And, uh, he has a heavy foot and I've, okay. and I've, <laughs> I've tried to teach him over the last year of like, okay, Hey, here's how you walk quietly. So they don't <laughs> hear you. And, uh, and he forgets and he gets heavy footed and the, the pH stopped. It turned around to him. and said, quiet feet. <laughs> He's finally getting fed up with his heavy foot and like had to stop and like teach him how to walk with quiet feet, you know? So, <laughs> That's awesome. um, yeah, man, it is all spot and stock, which is super challenging hunting. And that's how I like it. You know, and I'll, I'll whitetail hunt, I'll tree stand hunt. I'll, sure. like, I'll sit on water holes. I'm not too good for that, but I, I enjoy a good spot stock hunt. And that's, and if that's like what you prefer to hunt too. So for that to be the experience just makes that whole hunt sweeter for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter what the guide wants you to do or any like, I mean, yeah, you're going to follow the guide, right? If he's like, we're going to sit on this water hole, you're going to listen to his advice. Cause if you go against it, what's the point, right? Cause you're just setting yourself up for failure. But when you and that guide or that professional hunter are on the same page where it's like, we're going to spot and stalk. It's like, all right, now this is my cup of tea. Let's do this. And you can get real behind it then. And like, you have the energy and the enthusiasm, like we're going out, we're going to, we're going to go spot. We're going to stalk them. Like, this is my, this is my deal. Yeah. And, the, you know, and I verse the P, the hunter and you know, the outfitter, like they know what type of hunter I am. They know I hunt really hard so they could put me through whatever they want to put me through. We can go wherever we want to go and I'm good. And it was, you know, what's really cool is I'm coming from the States. My, my PH, my professional hunter, he's the one that kind of that's leading the hunting. Right. Right. You know, born and raised, grew up in Zimbabwe. We're countries apart, but we speak the same language, which is hunting. You know, we sure. spot an animal and he come up with a game plan together and we, everything is the exact same language. That's how we're going to spot stock. That's how we're going to keep the wind in our favor. We get within an X amount of yards. Here's how we're going to go super quiet, super slow, still hunt. Like it's exact same language from country to country, which I thought was super cool. That's awesome. Cause it shows, shows like the tap, even though the animals are changing, like the tack, like the basic task tactics stay the same, right? I mean, That's you right. adapt those tactics to each individual hunt and the terrain, but at the end of the day, them core principles, they're all over the world. That's right. And like even if we even if he and he spoke English, but even if he didn't speak English, we could communicate through hunting language. You know, sure. Be super cool. That's awesome. So how like coming back to the States then, like was it more challenges like to get out of the country? Like, do you have your mount? Like, how does all that, like, are you bringing mounts home? Are they getting shipped? Like, how's that work? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they make it home. So, you know, there's a process, man. You got to use a certain like uh, kind of third party country to, to, for shipping. And he's, then they're getting shipped to my taxidermist. But uh, I will, I don't know, man, we'll see. I might have to pay a couple more bribes to get my heads home. I don't know. <laughs> 
But so uh, I, I guess that was my other question. Does the taxidermist back here do it? Or so they did come the heads come here frozen then, or are they already done over there and they're shipping completed heads? Yeah, man. Good question. So here's what happens. We get the animal to the skinning house. It's a local village. Everyone uses this little hut to skin their animals. So they skinned out. And then the guys that skinning are awesome. You know, they do a great job. Like if I'm skinning that animal, I'm leaving like five pounds of meat still in the hide just because I'm in a hurry and like, you know what I mean? Right. You're in the field usually and you're just going. These guys right. have not a single like ounce of meat on the hide. So it gets skinned and then it gets taken over where they start to salt the hide and cure the hide already. So um, that was a cool kind of a process to see how they do that, you know, in the bush right there. Sure. You know, that's how they've done it for years. So, uh, so from there, then it gets transported because it, then it's already cured. It gets transported right. to this company that's in shipping to my taxidermist, but I have a good relationship with my taxidermist. So I wanted him to do it. You can do it there locally in the country. I don't know the prices. It might be a little more expensive, might be cheaper. I don't know, right. but, um, but I just chose to do it this way. So. Makes sense. I mean, support your local guy that you've used forever. I mean, you get a relationship with them. I mean, you have a couple of things mounted. You start to get a relationship with that guy. You start talking hunting more, everything else. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I get it completely. It's, you, amount is a lot. I mean, not price-wise, but to you, like the value of it. Because yeah. that's when you look at that, it reminds you everything about that hunt. Like it, right. it brings you back right away. So you're going to want to use someone you trust. At least I do. I mean, I want to use someone that I trust to do my work because – that like I want that like that's how like when I'm old and I can't do this anymore and I'm sitting on the couch sipping on a bourbon or something and I look up at that one mountain I, I mean I want it to take me right back I don't want it to be deteriorated and just like oh man that sucks yeah. you know yeah and you're right man like the, the purpose of the mountain I mean obviously there's a little bit of bragging right here so oh, yeah. over your house but like uh, yeah let's be honest about that but it's really to preserve that memory. So you walk into your room where you have your heads or whatever, and like you look at a, a certain mount, and you're like, I, rem you could remember that exact hunt down to the details, and maybe that was with a family member, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was your grandpa, that you're preserving those memories with that you can go right back there. So it's it's important, man, and you know it's not just for bragging rights. I don't have just a bunch of dead animals hanging on my wall. It's it's preserving the memories, and what's cool about what I do is like. Now all those memories are filmed and documented. So not right. only do I get to see the head, I can go back and see the episode and remember all those details of that hunt and everything right. that happened. Yeah. That's a whole that's a whole nother level, right? I mean, yeah. like my wife journals. I can't get into it. I'm not good enough a writer to sit there, but like she journals all of our camping trips and like all the adventures we do all summer long so I can have fall to myself, right? Because <laughs> she yeah. doesn't hunt. So we do a bunch of camping and stuff in winter and she journals all that and she's got a journal from her grandpa. Oh, all the trips cool. he did and she'll read through it and that's why she started this. I'm, like it's kind of the same way with the video, right? Next generation looking at this video, they're like, that's awesome. You know, and that's right, man. That's, that's actually one of the big reasons I did is like, you know, if I don't make it and if I don't become, you know, my career, if I can't make money enough to make this career, I'll still do it just for the fact of one, I can see it. But my grandkids, grandkids, grandkids can look up my hunt and say, that was my great, 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 great grandpa. And that's right? him hunting a you know, sable in Africa or an elk in Colorado, or they can actually know me based upon that episode or that hunt. And like in the video I watched, I mean, it's real easy to see your personality too. Like you can, you can see your passion from it and everything else. And as you watch more videos, right. 
you get to learn more and more about a person just because you see their traits. Like you, you, like you don't really know them, but you know them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like your great, great grandkids are going to be able to watch like your videos and be like, I really understand who he was now, which that's yeah. awesome. Like, like that's so cool. Which was never a possibility in the past. You know, there was no, there you could, you might, you'd be happy to have your great grandpa's picture rather right. than a video that you get to see personality or you get to see maybe who this guy might've been. And Brad, man, I'm going to challenge, if you don't do this now and when you go hunting, bring a GoPro with you. If it's just for you or just for your grandkids, film yourself and document everything that happens at hunt down to like, oh my God, I'm so cold and wet. This is miserable. <laughs> I hate hunting. Why do I hunt? To, you know, the frustrations of blowing a stock or whatever it is, man. This, sure. I would journal on your GoPro. I think that would gonna, be super cool. I am going to try it this year. I, I don't have a GoPro. I did pick up a pair of fish eyes, though. The tactic oh, fish go. eyes. Yeah. So yeah. I am going to do it this year, especially I've, I've got two things in mind for duck hunting, especially like some different camera angles, like shooting back at me through the decoys and some other cool stuff. But I and then like upland hunting, too, because they offer a shoulder mount. So I'm going to try to run one on the dog and run on my shoulder for some cool, oh, grouse cool and, angle. and woodcock footage. My editing skills are terrible, so that's where I'm really going to have to learn some stuff. But we'll figure it out. <laughs> but you're, but you are right though. When I think about it, all I do is like these minute long clips for like Instagram and that. I don't document it. I just shoot like hero shots, hero videos. I, I tell the cool like 15 second reels, 30 second reels, or minute long clips. But that is something I wanted to try to do this year is actually like document the hunt and like even maybe shoot some B roll and like try to put something halfway decent together at least once to appreciate how much work also goes into it for you guys. Like when you're really doing it at that level. Yeah, man. And, and like, like you kind of said is like that video you watched grabbed you. And I, and I really hope that I'm correct on my thought process of it's cool to see a hunt and to see a kill shot and see what animals got taken. But I really enjoy seeing a real hunt. And what I mean by that is like, I want to see the struggle. I want right. to see you like screw up. I want to see like, you fall in a river or something. Now you're all wet. Like that's, that's really enjoyable to me to see, well, I'm not the only one that makes those bonehead <laughs> mistakes. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Absolutely. Uh, it's just more that the storyline, it's just, it's just more sweet to watch. I think it's just more valuable. Even if you don't kill something, man, I'd love to see what that hunt was all about and why you didn't kill it and what mistakes you made. And that's just super cool to watch and, and uh, follow along. I think. And I agree. Cause I had a duck hunt last year where I, I took a guy out for his first ever duck hunt. Like I said, I mentioned I do a lot of mentoring. So I, he wanted to come back out and I scouted this marsh and there was ducks everywhere. And I'm like, all right, we're going to get back into a spot that I guarantee you no one's ever going to try to push back into. And we pushed this canoe through this little tiny channel through the cattails, which I had already scouted in spring. So I knew it opened up into this little pothole. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Cause I know none of the guys with like the bigger mud boats. I have one. You can't get it in there. Yeah. And there was ducks. And we had two ducks drop in real early in the morning, like, like right at shooting time. And they, and they, and they scooted off. I'm like, well, nah, man, this is solid. This is going to be a hunt. And we watched thousands of birds all day long, come nowhere near us. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been one of the ones to like document where it's like, and they wouldn't want anything to do with that marsh at all. Like they'd come by there, they'd go high, they'd skirt it. You could just tell it had just been overpressured, and I was still too close to it. I was still too yeah. close to that like known pressure area, and like that had been one to document where it's just like 
when everything's right, you scout it and you thought you had it and the morning looks so great where you got ducks landing in the decoys like right before shooting time and they're gone. And then like you're constantly seeing birds and nothing comes by you. <laughs> like just Dude. that legit frustration and the paddle yeah. back was into like this ridiculous headwind and the water was way low. So at times I was out of the canoe, like pushing it through muck, like kind of sitting <laughs> on it, like, like a paddle board almost with him in the front. And I'm like, to record that now and look back, like it had just been like one of those hunts where people are like, all right, that's the suck. <laughs> that's the suck, man. That's right, dude. And that's, and that's hunting. That's hunting, man. Like it's not this Hollywood thing where you're going to kill some Pope and young thing. Every time you go out, that's not realistic. That's not how it works. Like that, what you just went through, that's real hunting is like, right. I was on a hunt last year. I got stuck with my truck and I spent almost an entire day trying to get my truck out of the snow and like we filmed it now hey, that's hunting man. right right it's part of that adapting and overcoming like the hunt like every hunt is different like i've never had two hunts be the same i don't think that's you right. can because there's always yeah. some other challenge the weather's different or even if it's not that day's weather the week before was different so it's muddy or there's snow or there's ice still i mean every like there's always some new challenge every time you hit the field which makes it so exciting to want to go out and do it again because it's never the same. You may have a plan where you think, okay, like you did, I think this hunt is going to be like this. Right. That rarely happens. Whatever plan you think you have in your head of how that hunt's going to go down, it's not going to happen that way. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And it's the hunts you have like no confidence in like opening day for deer hunting two years ago. I got out real early and I knew my father-in-law and my two nieces were going to be coming out. And they were going to come out later. And they like to sleep in. That's fine. I don't, I don't care. My father-in-law's older. It's his land. I mean, go ahead, sleep in, right? It doesn't bother yeah. me at all. Cause if I don't shoot a deer, I don't care. Do I want to? Yeah. I'm out there for all, I'm out there just to sit back. And like, that's my time where I slow down in a tree stand. Cause I'm from Wisconsin and I, we tree stand hunt. Yeah. And eight minutes after shooting light, I had that guy right there come walking down the slope of the hill, stop 60 yards away. I'm like, <laughs> I call up my I call up my um my father in law. I'm like, so you guys here yet? They're like, yeah, we're just getting in. I'm like, all right, you're gonna hear me on the ATV because I'm pulling one out. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that man. was but that was super cool because that's actually my first experience filming because I got that kill shot on film with a GoPro just mounted to the gun bar like the bar of the and, and that like all right that's cool. So later on, I actually filmed and tried to roll it together and I haven't released it at all because it's my niece and it was her first year hunting so like when we went out that afternoon like i filmed her like as best i could like with my vision of like all of it and we actually had a monster walk out like and you can see like i got her in a different camera angle like just shaking because i had the gopro facing back at her and then i'm with my other camera like zoomed in and my editing's terrible but i gave it to her and she's like this is awesome and it, because she's 15, I've never put it out there publicly, right? Because right. I respect her at that age. But I mean, like, it's so cool. Like, she, and it's cool because she's got her great grandma's 35 rem for a rifle. Oh, that's cool, man. All right. I got a story for you, too. So you see her holding this old 35 rem, just shaking. And yeah. it's awesome. It's just that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I took my daughter on a, her first whitetail hunt last year. Okay. And, um, my uncle had passed away a couple of years prior to that. And he handed me down a, his old 243. And I have memories of this old 243 from as me as a kid, like five, six years old of him shooting a couple deer with it, going hunting with him. So I have his 243 or taking her out on her first hunt. And she ends up shooting this about 140 inch whitetail, which is bigger than the whitetail that I shot that year. 
and I filmed it all. It's on the, uh, it's an episode on the Western Obsessions TV's YouTube channel and filmed it all, filmed her excitement. And she got to do it with my uncle's 243. It was a very cool experience. I know he was looking down, man, just grinning ear to ear, you know? Oh yeah. And that's one you don't forget. Cause I mean, it's her first hunt. So it's not, it's not traditions for her yet. I mean, this is her first time, but to have that rifle and all the traditions with that rifle and like that nostalgia and that history and like to bring it all together, especially in her first hunt. That's awesome. Like that's yeah, something it was you awesome. will, she'll never forget that. You can't, I, that's, that's yeah. imprinted in your memory forever. Forever. And I think I was way more excited than what she was. She was super excited, but I was like a little girl. I was screaming. And like, you know, like, <laughs> I know I exactly. Excited. I know exactly that thought because we were out like last year. My niece actually, she wanted to wait for a buck. She didn't want to shoot a doe. We had does in front of her. And that's all. I mean, if that's what, I mean, it's her hunt, right? I mean, if you don't want to shoot a doe, you don't have to shoot a doe. If you want to wait for a 130 class buck, if you want to shoot a spike, it's your hunt. You, I, I'm, I'm going to support her, whatever she wants to do for her hunt. And she was sitting by herself and I was in my tree stand and she's like, Oh, here comes a deer. I'm like, all right, take a breath. Like, like, I'm like, put your phone down and focus. Like, just take your breath, right? And she texts me afterwards. Because <laughs> she's texting me because she's on the other side of this ridge. And I hear the shot and I wait a few. And she goes, I got it. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, just stay put. Don't go and track it. She goes, I don't need to. It's right here. I'm like, what do you mean? It's, it's right, right here. here. I mean, it dropped in its tracks 20 yards away. Like it just dropped. Oh, I'm like, awesome. I'm like, that's awesome. But then those emotions hit those emotions. We all experience. I, I still experience with everyone. And she's like, yeah, I'm sad. I'm like, it's part of it. Like yeah. these creatures are gorgeous. They're amazing. Every time I take one, I make that excitement of that initial excitement absolutely gets replaced with a little bit of guilt for me. I mean, it's normal. And like to walk her through those emotions until I could get over there. Cause I wanted a little bit, cause I didn't want the thing to jump up. Right. So I'm like, just relaxed take it all in, take some breaths and like walk her through those emotions and then get there and like see the smile. Like when she finally all settled down and blended in and melded together, like then it was real. Yeah. I mean, and you got the adrenaline's running and, right. and, and you're right. Like that you're so excited and then you just killed something and you're that remorse and that sadness comes over. And like, there's a ton of emotions that happen. And, and you know, the thing that I, I really focus on after taking an animal is I make sure 100% I use that entire animal. Like I make sure either I eat all the meat or I give it to friends and they eat all the meat. And that's just a really big deal for me because of that emotion right there of like, I just took that animal's life. Now out of respect for that animal, I'm going to make sure every piece of that animal is used and taken care of. hundred percent. I agree. Um, and I'm the same way. I mean, I got to make sure, I mean, I'm probably, I might even be a little more over the top than some two years ago, three years ago, I lost a really nice buck with my bow and I jumped a shot. I don't know if it made it. I don't know if it didn't, but I, I, I hung up my bow for the year. Like, I'm like, all right, that was my buck. Like I screwed this up. There was enough blood where I don't know what happened to that animal. I'm like, I can't take another one. And I had people like it's, it happens. It's part of our, I'm like, I get that, but I respect the animal so much. Like yeah. I couldn't go back out and like, get out of my head that I already took my buck this year. Cause I didn't find it. Like I couldn't like, and I know I did it legally. I don't have to take that deer or anything. Right. But right. personally, like my morals, and this is me, I'm not talking for anybody else and whatever you choose to do, it's your hunt. It's your tag. There's no law that says you have to do this. But for me, I couldn't go shoot another animal. Cause I know 
I think I might have mortally wounded that one and I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't take another one because to me, I used my take. That was my shot. And that's part of like you say when hunts fall apart, right? Like I screwed it up. I rushed the shot. Yep. Yeah, man, I agree with you 100%. I've done that too is where I, I screwed up the shot. And and that's why like that's why we work so hard. We shoot so many times and to make sure when we have that moment that our chances of having a good shot on that animal are very high, but we still screw up. And like, right. like I respect that a lot, man. That's your animal. And, and when I guide uh, hunters also, that's how I do it. It's like if you hit an animal, you draw blood, that's your animal. I'm sorry if you don't think it's fair, but we're not out here just wounding a bunch of animals. That's your animal. If we can't right. find it, I'm sorry. I'll do everything I can do to find that animal. And, uh, you know, I, I'm taking a couple guys hunting this year that's never gone. And they, I went out shooting with them and, and I let them know straight up, you're not ready to shoot. You need to keep shooting. If you can't feel confident, I, I need you to be 90% kill shots from 20 to 50 yards. If you can't sure. do that, I'm not letting you pull the trigger. West with a bow. So like, right, I'm not right, letting right, you pull right. the trigger. You could come along, but you're not hunting. You're not shooting anything. So they're out there shooting again. <laughs> well, no, I, and, I, and I get it because like I look back and I screwed it up because there was a was the best buck I had on trail camera that year. And it came right in hot on a doe. The doe never saw me but the buck did the whole time, but oh, that no doe kidding. was hot. So the doe would walk, he'd be watching me. And then he put his head down and follow the doe and the doe just came right up the trail. And then when I tried to get the bow up, he spun right when I released, like I, I should have been more patient. I shouldn't have tried to rush it. Cause I knew he was watching me. Like I really shouldn't even have shot. Like I should have just let, like, it's not right. It's not good enough. Like, yeah, the doe hasn't seen me yet. That's the only reason this buck is still here. Right. Right. And I rushed the shot thinking this is my only opportunity when I don't know that. Like I had that deer pattern, like unless that doe take, took him to another County, which can happen. Right. We don't know who knows when the heat comes right when the ruts in yeah. full swing, but odds are they'd have been back there this afternoon when she was walking back the other way. So that was like, that's, that's where I'm like a hundred percent on me. Like I screwed that one up. Yeah. Well, you know, get excited and we mistake. That's part of right. it. And that's, and that was the first time I'd ever experienced a buck watching me in a tree stand the whole time and just following a doe. Like, so like, I'm like, Oh, like, what, what is like, like, okay. Like this is fine. Like this isn't fine. Like, what do I do? And I'm like, Oh, this, this is the buck I want to I'm like, yeah. So I learned that lesson, but it's a lesson that I had to learn because you're not going to learn some of those unless you're in the situation. Right. And actually have that experience. You know, it's funny. Like every species on the planet gets real dumb when we get horny. <laughs> yeah he he knew I'm he's like i know there's a hunter there but there's this hot doe man and i am not right. leaving her <laughs> right. like some, i don't know how she didn't see me like she never saw me he never even alerted her she just didn't she just kept her head down and kept grazing all the way up this trail i'm like okay you must be the dumbest doe ever <laughs> uh. Oh, well, yeah. I'm looking forward to next season, though. I am. Yeah. What do you got? You got you got anything crazy? I mean, I'm sure. I mean, you got to have big plans with the film crew, right? I mean, you yeah. got you got to have one of them. You got to have something planned that's just like, this is something unique. Well, and I do. That's the funny thing you said that, but you know, I have a bunch of hunts I'm going on. Uh, I drew a Arizona elk tag, which that that's should cool. be a good one. Um, got some tags here in Colorado, but I'm doing probably the dumbest hunt. I'll ever do in my life is we'll be starting September 2nd here in Colorado. And okay. so uh, just a little back 
story on this is uh, I'm, I'm big into fitness. I'm a very kind of a fitness freak across the gym. So, um, and let me go back even further than that. So two years ago, I guided two guys. One was 69. The other guy was 72. And it was wow. an archery elk hunt. And I was a little nervous about it because of their age. But those guys kick the mountains butt. I mean, they were all over it. They were super in shape. And they just did awesome. And that made a big impression on my mind because in my mind, I'm like, oh, how many years do I got left to hunt the way I want to hunt? So, you know, at some point, I'm not to slow down. But like, if these guys are doing this at 70 years old, man, like, I want right. to be like these guys. So I've always been into fitness a lot, but I really ramped up fitness. I own a CrossFit gym, so I do a lot of CrossFit. And I got sponsored by this brand called 10,000. They're a, a men's athletic apparel company. They do these really cool things with their athletes called feet of strengths and it really what okay. it is just some crazy ass fitness thing that they have their athletes do that's just out there like the last feat of strength was a guy would ran a hundred miles around central park in new york i'm pretty sure if it wasn't non-stop it was like within a short time period like within a day or two of running that so <laughs> um just crazy stuff another guy went to like alaska to spin a certain amount of minutes under the ice in Alaska swimming, like just crazy fitness feats of sure. strength is what they call them. So they asked me if I wanted to do one and I'm their only hunter fitness guy on their staff or on their uh, sponsorship. And I was like, sure. What do you guys want me to do? And they're like, how about you do a hundred mile ruck in the mountains, no food or water and get a hundred miles in, in four days. I'm like, man, that is absolutely insane. That is absolutely stupid. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> so, but I did push him a little bit. I was like, listen, guys, it's just, this is just going to be a hiking video. If I got to do 100 miles in four days, that's all I'm going to be doing is hiking. Because it's not like I'm on trails. I'm not on right. road. I'm, I'm in heavy timber going over 13,000-foot mountains. Like, I can't move fast. I'm like, give me, give me like five, six days. So, they're like, okay, cool. You have up to six days to get a hundred miles in no food or water living on the land. I got to, I'll have an elk tag in my pocket. I'll be able to hunt small game grouse, you know, stuff like that. So sure. again, it, you know, whoever's watching and listening to this podcast, if, if this is, if you're going out on an elk hunt, do not do this. This is the dumbest <laughs> way to elk hunt that you can do. <laughs> you know, Ideally, I would sit up high on a glassing knob and I'd glass for hours in the morning, glass for hours in the evening, find the elk, come up with a game plan, put it on spot stock. I would not be hiking all day long, hoping to bump into elk. Very dumb. But, you know, as I hit the midlife crisis of 40, I'm like, if I don't do something stupid and crazy now, when am I going to do it? So right. I'm going right. to do it. I've been training. I've been doing a lot of running, a lot of CrossFit. Sure. Um, you know, getting myself in shape to make that hundred miles. Cause that's going to be miserable. It'll be filmed. Uh, my camera crew there, they're having their camera crew film it. So it'll be put out on our, our channels, their channels. I have some other sponsors that will be involved in that. And it's going to be, uh, I don't know. It's, it's going to go one way or the other. Either super cool or super lame. I don't know which way it's going to well, go. <laughs> I mean, six days in the mountain, you can have everything from hot to cold, to snow to rain. I mean, like I'm thinking, like trying to pack the gear. I'm assuming this is archery, right? Yeah, archery. So are you gonna are you gonna like all your small game? Are you gonna just bring extra archery arrows? For, are you gonna bring extra small game tips for that and run your archery yeah. bow? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, now you're talking extra arrows. 
You're talking enough clothing for it all. Yeah. Water filtration. I mean, that's going to be the only option there if you can't bring water. Are you allowed? To, I'm assuming you're allowed to carry water, though, right? Yeah. If I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. If, after I filter the water, right. I'm not allowed to bring it from the trailhead or from my truck and the trailhead Got up to where I'm hunting. Uh, I have to find the water on the mountain, which is sure. fine. That's what I do anyway. I don't ever pack up water. It's too heavy. So I always filter water on the mountain and I'll carry water along with me. But I mean, that's, I've never done a hundred miles. Like 10 miles a day is pretty common for me to do. I can do 10 miles, but sure. you're, you're talking, you know, almost 20 miles a day without food, without carbohydrates, without fats, without your right. fuel. Who knows what's going to happen day three or four. Like I might be a zombie. I might fall off a, a cliff. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the only nice thing, I mean, you got, I mean, it is going to be in a safe environment though. Cause you're going to have multiple film crews with you and they're not doing this hunt. They're there to document. Right. They're eating. The hunt. They're, yeah. Right. They're eating. They're going to have food. If like on day four, you're like, I can't, I don't even have enough. I don't have enough glucose left in me or sugar left in me to like, even move anymore. Like safety is going to come first. Right. But yeah, the mental game there is because you, like obviously you're very mental determined. Like you can tell, like just talking to you and like with your training, it's going to take to the point of like, they are probably going to have to be like, you are done. Like you can't push any harder. Yeah. They'll have to pull me off the mountain. Like, and, and you know, it's, it is my, just hunting in general is mentally challenging, mentally the right. roller coaster of hunting. You know, you see animals, you get an animals, you get a high, you blow something. They run like there's, you got the lows of like, wanting to quit and just hunting in general is a mental challenge to do that with having to hike so many miles with no food. It's definitely going to, uh, you know, multiply that by a hundred. So hopefully you don't see me break down crying about not being able to find elk. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> that you're not going to have good shelter, right? I mean, so, I mean, you're going to have to pack life to put, I mean, so I'm a bivy. A bit, right. I won't even have a tent. I'm just sleeping on the ground in a bivy. Right. So, I mean, you're talking paracord and a tarp basically at that point. Um, yeah. So you're not going to be that comfortable sleeping. You're not going to get a good night's rest probably, unless you can find a whole bunch of pine brows you can stack up to lay on and make a cot <laughs> or something one night, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right, man. <laughs> um, and you're going to have to constantly, not only are you going to have to focus the whole time you're out there on trying to find elk, you're also going to have to focus on finding food. Yeah. Yeah. Finding food. So uh, it's going to be just like, you know, and I know, like, uh, you, watch, you watch some of these shows, like, um, Alone. Have you seen Alone, Brad? I have. I have. Yeah. Super cool show, man. Like, they're surviving with, with just minimal stuff. But the catch is, is they're not hiking 20 miles a day. And, yeah, they're going much longer times without food. But right. to expend that much, that many calories without bringing any calories in may, is making me a little nervous. Um, I am – my training, I'm actually – having a surplus of calories. So I'm actually 10 pounds heavier than I normally am thinking that maybe that's a little energy storage for me, a little bit of body sure. fat, but sure. on the flip side, that's 10 pounds more. I got to haul my ass around the mountain. Right. Line, right? right. So, so you got to yeah, balance, I mean, you got to balance those extra reserves you're packing on compared to like yeah. the muscle it's going to take to haul them around. Yeah. And I'll have a sat phone with me. So in case anything goes bad, you know, we can, we can get some help, but, uh, yeah, man, it's going to be interesting to see. So we'll do that the first week of September for six days, and we'll see what happens. Um, I probably won't have the episode out for, you know, probably 60 to 90 days. So, uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll put some stuff up on my Instagram, kind of alluding to what happened to the hunt and stuff like that. So sure. Some, some good teasers. 
some teasers, yeah. Oh yeah, but, which might be me crying on a rock about not being able to eat. I don't know. <laughs> so I mean, you got you mentioned grouse. I know there's grouse up in the mountains. Are like what about like squirrels, rabbits? Like, do you have like all the various small game up there that you can kind of focus on, or like is that pretty yeah. slim pickings when you get like what type of elevation are you starting at? I guess. You know, I'm not 100% sure where I'll start, like with the trailhead, but we'll definitely be above tree line most of the time. So we're looking to be above 12,000 feet. Okay. Um, most of the time. And that's just a little easier hiking. So if I stay down low, I got to deal with deadfall. I got to deal with heavy forest. You know, that's from pretty rough hiking. So my plan is to stay above tree line and move as much as I can that way. Glass down in valleys for elk or at the tree line for elk. But, but it's, yeah, as far as small game, you know, it's funny. It, and here's how I expect this to happen. When I'm out hunting, I see grouse everywhere. There's always grouse, right? <laughs> and they're they're dumb little birds that don't fly right away, and you can almost catch them with your hands. And I guarantee you, on this hunt, I probably won't see one grouse. Or if I do, they'll be a hundred miles away. You know, like it, it'll probably be more challenging than what it normally is. But as far as what I can eat, yeah, any small game. And I've been researching this, so you know, types of grouse, types of squirrels those type of small game. I've done some research on berries and mushrooms and plants, sure. but be honest with you, I just don't feel that confident and comfortable eating that. Uh, it, you know, all it takes is one wrong berry, right? Identify wrong. And then right. my, my hunt's over game over. Right. So right, right. Uh, I'm going to stay away from the berries and mushrooms and plants and just stay with small game and water. Ideally, here's how I'd love for this hunt to go down. Day one, I'm hiking to find elk. Day two, I'm in elk. I shoot a bull and I spend the rest of the hundred miles hiking the bull off the mountain. That's how I'd how I'd like. <laughs> and if I got to carry some out in my stomach, I'll do it. Right. So right, right. Yeah. Constantly just refueling with some fresh elk meat, and then you pack twenty, yeah. pack fifteen miles one way, fifteen miles back that way. There's thirty. Now we're now we're a third of the way there. Yeah, that's right, man. And you know, me myself, it would take me probably five trips to get the elk off the mountain. So, yeah, if I'm 15 miles out, there's, that should be close to a hundred miles right there. Well, there you go. That's an easy plan. That, that it's easy, right? That's just how it's going to work. That's, that's how I'd like to go down, but you know how that goes, man. <laughs> right. Well, see now, if you keep focusing on like trying to figure out the berries and the mushrooms and the plants, so you have a backup in case the squirrel or the, the grouse aren't there, then it will go that way because you spent all this energy trying to prepare for it not to work that way. Right. Now, if you don't do any of that, then you know, for sure, like you're not finding elk and you're going to starve. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's gonna be a super fun episode to watch because that's gonna that's gonna be grueling. Like if like, so many, like yeah, grueling. I don't know how else to put it. I'm sure there's gonna be some drama in there. You know, there's a I joke around and it I joke about it, but there's a lot of truth to it. Like hunting with me, there's always a moment where it's like, oh shit our life is on the line right now. Like this is real dangerous. What's going on? Like, how did we get in this situation? Like I joke around about it, but there's some truth to it. Like every, like that archery elk hunt, like we got to find water. We don't have any right. water. We're all, we're stuck in deadfalls and we suck. I went on a mule deer hunt where we got stuck. We're gonna have to call like, you know, um, call someone to come pick us up and we're out in the middle of nowhere with no cell service from sleep in the truck for the night. Like there's always some element of danger when I'm hunting. So <laughs> I don't know why it happens. It just happens that way. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of drama on this side. Well, you're really upping the ante on the danger level of this one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but
But I mean, it's going to be super cool. I mean, because not only that, but 10,000 is going to be filming this, right? So it's, I mean, it's yeah. going to bring this hunt and these experiences to a whole group of audiences that probably has never seen something like this and has witnessed the emotions and like that it's like a lot of people have a preconceived notion of what hunting is, especially people that don't agree with hunting because they don't know what it is. They just think we're killing animals for fun. And it's not like that at all. I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that do, right? But like a, right. most of the hunters I know have one of the best moral compasses I've ever seen. Right. And like we have so much respect for the game. So like to bring this out through a fitness side that they probably never would have watched an episode like this ever. But they're like, yeah. all right, it's got to be extreme. So I'm going to watch it just because it's extreme because that's all they do is this extreme hunt, right? And then for that to open up that, I mean, you don't like, that could like completely open up like to a bunch of people like, I want to try to hunt elk on a mountain. Like, what do I got to do to do this? I mean, with hunters numbers constantly falling, like this could open up a completely new avenue. Right. Yeah. And, and you're spot on with that because you're right. It, it could open up whole new demographic and respect for hunting. And the most of the hunters that I see actually respect animals more than the non-hunters, the, the people on the other side of the fence, right? Like right. they're advocating to not have hunting. And what people don't understand is hunters contribute almost all the contribution to conservation, to conserving that animal's way of life, conserving the land for the animals. They just don't understand that. And I get it. They just said, you know, not versed with it or a little naive to it, but yeah, maybe I can break some fitness into the fitness barrier a little bit and show people what elk hunting is about on kind of an extreme side. Right. You know, as, as hunting numbers are going down, I, I do see a population of hunting that's increasing and it's archery elk hunters. New archery right. elk hunters are expanding dramatically. And it might be, you know, some of those guys like Cam Haynes, Joe Rogan, those guys are in, you know, right. everybody watches that. They think it's super cool watching these guys do it. And, uh, but I see there's a lot of new hunters out there. I get messages all the time from new hunters asking questions and what they should be doing or not doing. So it's really cool to see that. And there's a, a big influx of women hunters in the industry too, which is very, it's very cool to see. I will agree with that. I've actually had quite a few women on my show. Like at one point I was going every other. I don't know how that worked out, but um, <laughs> I've met a few through uh, DSG is a big women's hunting clothing and it's out of Madison here. It's Middleton okay. technically. And I know a person that worked there and I met a bunch of the a bunch of these phenomenal women that are just more passionate than I am about hunting and like how they're breaking into the industry and like yeah. really opening up light to it. And like, they're finally starting to get some gear that's actually built for them rather than them trying to yeah. use like youth gear or small men. Like they're actually like, it's being designed. It's awesome to see that. Like it, it's it great. Cool. And the hunting industry needed it. It really did. Yeah, it really did, man. It needed a different demographic than the, you know, 45 year old white guy with a big belly, right? Like the buzz, like the old right. school videos they used to see. But, uh, right. uh, you know, with the, the fitness side coming to archery kind of be pretty fit to do it to the women starting to join. Like it's a very, it's an exciting time. I think it's exciting to see the new demographics coming in. It's exciting to see the new ways to present hunting with the type of filming, like we're doing, like showing the actual hunt, how it's working uh, with some, some good B roll cinematography and sure. stuff like that. So yeah, man, it's, it's definitely my passion and I hope that I can make this a career and, I hope I get to do exactly what I want to do until I'm 80. That's the plan. Right. Right. Until you can hang it up and be like, 
and then you look around and then you start remembering all those hunts, right? And then, but then I mean, right. at that point, now you've mentored your daughters and your grand and your grandkids, most likely, right? And now you're gonna be now you're gonna be itching like to get that phone call from them because now you're gonna be living your living their hunts through them, right? Oh, so yeah. it's gonna be like, oh, did you get on a film? Like, like did you do like? And then yeah, that's gonna be a whole different excitement and level of anticipation, which would be awesome. So yeah, absolutely. And I don't know what I'm going to be like when I'm 78 years old, but right. if I'm in the same mental mindset that I am now, I'm super obsessed with hunting. I, I, if I had to pick a way to go out and I tell my wife, this, like when I die, just put me out in the mountain, let the bears and mountain lions eat me and just distribute me to the mountain. Man. That's where I want sure, to go. So sure. I can see myself trying to hunt till I'm 80 years old and me trying to go up with my grandkids and they're saying, grandpa, maybe you should set this one out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to push this one. We're going in pretty far. Let's, yeah. let's pick a different one for you. But then again, you just said you guided someone that was 72 last year and they owned the mountain. Owned it, man. They kicked the mountains, but it was awesome. That's awesome, man. It's, but I'm going to give the next few minutes up to you. Um, the show has been awesome, but I want everybody to know how to get in touch with you. Like, YouTube channel, your media groups, Instagram, sure. shout it all out, shout out your sponsors, lay it on us, man. Yeah, thanks, Brad. All right, man. Yeah, you guys can see our episodes at Western Obsessions TV on YouTube. We should be going, having a first season on Amazon Prime after this season of filming. Um, you could follow me on on my uh, Instagram channel, and which is Western Obsessions TV, Kirk Belding. Um my production company is White Rabbit Syndicate. We do a lot of photo, video. Uh, we actually, you know, we're doing a lot of websites for hunting companies right now because it seems the hunt, hunting companies just don't update a website and updated content. So we're doing a lot of that, and I'm trading out a lot of hunt for that too. So I'll build out a website if they take me on a hunt. So if you're out there and you want to take me on a hunt, man, I'll build your website, right? So that, that's um, that's a trade right there. I mean, that's that's great. Yeah. I mean. That's great for everyone involved. They get a new website. Plus, they're going to get a. They're going to be on your video because if they're yeah, guiding you on this hunt, right? I mean, it's 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 awesome. It's that's a hell of a trade off. Yeah, man, and that's kind of my philosophy, man. Like, even with my sponsors, which I'll shout them out. Like, I always want to give more than what I get. Uh, that's just the type of person I am. I, that's how I like to do business. So, um, so yeah. So, sponsors right now is ten thousand. They sponsor me with all my my men's fitness um, apparel. And then we have uh, Hanwag is, is my boot sponsor. ReadyWise is my freeze-dried food sponsor. And Horse is our scope sponsor. So um, hoping to pick up a couple more after the season. Absolutely. But hold on. But we, we didn't even touch on this. Like you just you just dropped a bombshell. Amazon oh, Prime, huh? Amazon Prime's picking up your show. Yeah, man. So uh, we have enough episodes, but I want to see if we can get some more quality episodes out because – you know, I mean, I'm kind of a perfectionist. If I'm going to do something and be the first per perception for somebody, I want to have a very good perception. I want to have right. good quality film, good B-roll, good storylines. And it doesn't mean I have to kill something, but it just has to be a good storyline to the episode. So I'll, after this season, you know, I'll probably have the Africa stuff on there. This this 100-mile uh, ruck survival hunt will probably be on there. And, and maybe a couple more from this season, then uh, we'll be on Amazon Prime. So Give it, yeah. Give me twelve months to get everything up on there uh, from the date of this podcast, and and search for us on Amazon Prime at Western Obsessions TV. That's awesome, man. That's huge. I mean, that's just drive and ambition, showing that there's like payoff at the end is what it is. Because yeah. I mean, to take it from YouTube to Amazon Prime, like that, that's a huge step. 
that's a big step. Yeah, man, it's a big step. And like you said, it's just, uh, you know, this is this is my passion. Man. What I want to do if I want to look back when I'm 80 years old, if maybe I don't make it doing this, but I want to say I gave it everything I've got to make this happen. And and I'm trying my hardest to entertain anybody that watches shows. And that's the number one, man. Like, I don't care if I go out and kill 300 plus elk or 200 inch whitetail. Like, I want to entertain someone and show them exactly how that hunt went down. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I seriously appreciate you being on. Like it's been a super fun, energetic episode. And it's always great like to talk hunting with someone like when you're on the same page. Like it's just easy to talk about, right? That's right. Yeah. This is just a universal language, man. And that's exactly it, like you said. So I I thanks for being on, Kurt. I seriously appreciate it. And you bet, Brad. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on your YouTube channel because I really see some awesome things to come. Like just seeing what what it's been already, man. I'm it's it's gonna be good. Like it's it's awesome. Thanks, Brad. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on here, man. And good luck to you and this season you got coming up. And uh, hopefully you find actually make the correct kill shot on this next yeah, year hope, that you pull the trigger on, right? I hope so. <laughs> I'll, I'll be bird focused this year. My, I have a wired hair pointing griff on. I do a lot of grouse hunting, woodcock hunting, and she's nine turning 10 in February. So, but those years are, those years are getting limited with her. She's past her prime. So I'll spend most of my fall as much as her body will allow chasing birds with her to get her last couple good seasons in before we go back to really focusing on deer before I, yeah. when I go dogless for a little bit when it happens. So. That'll be a sad day, man. My heart goes out to you. Oh, I've been there. It is no fun. Yeah. Not a great. So I guess we'll end the episode on that sad note. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously appreciate you on. And to all my listeners, as always, I can't thank you enough tuning in. Highly appreciated. I love all you guys. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures located in Northern Illinois for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com 